In verse 8 it says, there is none like you among the gods. And so it's a highlighting and it's understanding that there are many different spiritual authorities in the heavenly places. There are many different little g gods in the world. And, and many people worship these different spiritual beings, these different gods. But out of all of these different little g-gods, there's none like the Lord, like Yahweh. There, there's none who are as great as he is. And, and don't you love what, how it, the passage continues? Oh Lord, nor are there were any works like yours. So no, no matter how powerful these demonic spirits are in their works, none of them can compare to the works of Yahweh, the one true and living God. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name, for you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Capital G. As we consider the life of Abraham and Sarah, and how the Lord worked in their life, there are so many different facets, and there's so many different angles that we can hone in on and spend time pondering and considering. But one facet that I want to draw our attention to today is the reality that before Abraham was called out of Ur of the Chaldeans... That he was a worshiper of these false gods. In Joshua chapter 24 verse 2. It's speaking of Abraham. Or at that time Abram and his family. And it says that they served other gods. And. In his service of these false spiritual beings in the heavenly places, these spiritual authorities, he would have experienced some of their power and of their works. But then Yahweh called him out of that. And by faith, Abraham believed the Lord and he went out to land that he didn't know where he was going to. And through that, the Lord made a covenant with him. And by faith, he was accounted righteous by Yahweh, the one true and living God. And he came to understand that Yahweh himself is great. And he alone is God, the one true and living God. It's interesting, the world that we live in... There's really a rise in worship to false gods. And we, we see that happening all around us. The other day I was in town and got talking to a guy and he had, he had a necklace on. And with the necklace there was a, uh, a skull of a raven. And I asked him, well, what's the significance of that? And he said, well, 
Um, this was given to me by my Norse pagan friends. I said, oh, like the ones who worship Odin. And he said, yeah. And there's, there, there's, a, there's a certain sense in which in, in our society, in the world, there's a rise, or it's, some would call it neo-paganism, where, where people are going back to worshiping these spiritual beings, these little g-gods. Because there's a certain form of power that each of them wield. And if you read the news... There's more and more talk about the gods of the Aztecs. And uh, even in other parts in eastern U.S., they talk about Nimrod, who is a god of the Canaanites, that now people are worshiping in our own country. The Lord had called Abraham and Sarah out of that worship to worship the one true and only God, the only one who's truly great. And his works are marvelous, completely set apart. So in in today's passage, as we consider the Lord's interaction with Abraham and Sarah... Through him speaking to Abraham and Sarah, even as he has promised that they will have a child a year from then, in a real sense, he is highlighting some of his greatness as distinct from all of the other gods, the gods that Abraham and Sarah had been enslaved to prior to following the call of God on their life. Leading up to today's passage, we could see that the Lord had come by Abraham's tent. And we can see that in verse 1 of chapter 18 in Genesis. And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth. And as it goes on, he welcomes them in and prepares a feast for them. And during the feast, then afterwards, the the uh, Well, it's starting in verse 9. It says, They, the Lord and the two angels, said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, She is in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? So you can look up on the podcast, but a a few weeks ago we considered the initial interaction that the Lord had in promising that within the next year he would come back and Sarah would have a child, even though she was over 90 years old. The Lord had promised that. Sarah had responded by laughing. 
And then the Lord speaks again in today's passage. And in his speaking, he addresses Abraham and then he addresses Sarah. And in both of those addresses and in both of those communications, he is highlighting that he is great. And and that there is nothing in life that he can't be trusted in. He is is great. Trust that there is nothing greater than him. And that's in essence what he is highlighting as he reiterates the promise to Abraham and Sarah of the child that is to come. That he alone is God. And he alone is great. In verses 13 through 14, as he interacts with Abraham, we see... That the Lord is great in that he is mighty in power. Trust that nothing is too hard for him. And then in verse 15 as he talks to Sarah. We see that the Lord is great in that he is perfect in love. Trust that nothing is worth hiding from him. So first of all, in verses 13 through 14, we see that the Lord is mighty in power. Trust that nothing is too hard for him. Verse 13, the Lord, Yahweh, the one true and living God, said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a a child now that I am old? Now, this is interesting because this highlights a little bit of who our God is. It highlights his omniscience, his understanding and knowledge of all things. Because when the Lord addresses Abraham, he asks this question, why did Sarah laugh? And say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? And you ask, well, well, how does this highlight the Lord's omniscience? Well, if we go back just to ver- uh, two verses, no, in verse 12, it says, So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? Sarah believed that no one could hear her. She was behind the tent door and she was eavesdropping into what the Lord had been promising her husband Abraham. And she laughs to herself. But in a very similar way that later on in the Gospels as we read about Jesus. So for instance in Matthew chapter 9 verse 4 it highlights that Jesus Knowing their thoughts, the very thoughts that the scribes and the Pharisees were thinking after the Lord had healed this paralytic, it says that he knew their very thoughts. There was no fooling Jesus. And Sarah was soon to find out that she couldn't fool the Lord either. 
verse 14. After the Lord brings up the reality that Sarah had heard the promise that she would have a child and she reacted in unbelief, he then addresses that. And he he asks this question and he presents it to Abraham. And he says, is anything too hard for the Lord? And then he goes on and he he reiterates the promise that he had just made in verse 11. He, He comes and he says pretty much the exact same thing. At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year and Sarah shall have a son. Oh, but what a powerful question the Lord poses to Abraham. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Yeah, I, I, I know you're 100 years old. And yeah, I know your wife is 90. And the way of women is past her. It seems impossible. But Abraham, I am not like the gods that you used to worship in Ur of the Chaldees. They were powerful, but there were things that they couldn't do. Is there anything too hard for Yahweh? Is there anything too hard for me? Throughout Scripture, it is incredible how the Holy Spirit of God leads the authors of Scripture to highlight the greatness and the distinctiveness of Yahweh, the one true and living God, and how He is greater than all other gods, and He has nothing that is too hard for Him. He anything. He is mighty in power. He's all powerful. Thousands of years later, when the angel came to that young girl, probably in her teens, living in Nazareth, and says, do not fear Mary. For, for you're about to give birth to a son. You will call his name Jesus and he'll save his people from their sins. And she says, how can this be? Because I'm a virgin. And then don't you love what the angel responds and for Luke chapter 137 for nothing will be impossible with God then of course we know the rest of the story the virgin conceives gave birth to our dear Lord Jesus See, the promise that had been given to Sarah was a promise 
of life out of death, resurrection. And and no matter what religion, no matter what objects or spirit of worship that one pursued, resurrection from the dead was too hard. They couldn't do it. But not for Yahweh, the one true and living God. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? The Lord had promised that this woman was going to conceive and bear a son, Sarah. And it wasn't too hard for him to accomplish it. How about for us today? Do we truly believe that there is nothing too hard for the Lord? Do we truly understand his greatness? That he alone is God and that there is nothing too hard for him? In the book of Jeremiah, chapter 32, verse 17, it says, Ah, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. There is not one promise that the Lord has made that he isn't able to fulfill. There is not one person that no matter how sinful that he isn't able to save. Nothing is too hard for him. I want us to consider and to think about it. Personally, maybe you're here today and you're struggling in your trust and in your belief in the Lord. And you, and you are facing something in your life that just seems too big, too hard for the Lord to handle, too difficult. For him to take care of. There's so many different things. That we can struggle with. And are, are challenged by. But maybe there's someone here. Who maybe you think. That. There's absolutely no way. That you could be forgiven. For the things that you have done in your life. It's too hard for the Lord. Because. You know how bad you have been and what you have done. There's nothing too hard for the Lord. He fulfills his promises.
And he says, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. It's not too hard for the Lord. And you know why? Because the Lord went through the hardest thing that could ever be imagined. Our Lord Jesus came to this earth. He lived a perfect life. And when he went to the cross, he drunk the full cup of the wrath of God for our sin. Every sin that we have committed in falling short of God's perfect standard, Jesus took it upon himself and he paid the full price. And after having paid the infinite price for our sin, he was buried. But then even death wasn't too hard for the Lord. He rose to life again. And he ascended on high. And all who turn from trusting that our sin is okay, that the other gods that we have followed after are okay, and we turn to him in faith, He says that whoever comes to me, I will in no ways drive out. How about for believers? Maybe there's times where you are walking in your walk with the Lord, but you keep struggling with habitual sin. And you, and you just get so discouraged. And you feel condemned and the evil one comes at you and says, well, if you're truly born again, you would stop doing this or stop doing that. And you think that you're at the point of, could God even still accept me? Could he still save me? He's able to keep you. It's not too hard for him. Hebrews 7.25, consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for him. He's able to save to the uttermost. To cleanse you when you confess your sin. But not only that, to provide for you. There can be times as we go about our day-to-day -day living and we deal with inflation and we deal with the craziness that surround us in our in our world and we can think about the future and we start to think well what in the world's going to happen all of the unrest that's happening in the world all that's going on and we can start to think about the future and worry there's nothing too hard for the lord and in his word he has promised that for those who seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, all these things will be added to you. It's not too hard for him. Maybe you're at the point where you consider the future and you really don't have a vision. You don't really understand what is the Lord doing. And you need direction. I'm here to tell you that it's not too hard for the Lord to provide that direction. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make straight your paths. 
It's not too hard for the Lord. And we could continue on and on and on and with all of the different arenas of life where we, cha- we are challenged and we struggle and we lose faith. And in every one of those arenas, the Lord is able to work. There's nothing too difficult for him. Ah, oh, Lord God, thou hast made the heavens and the earth by thine outstretched hand and by thy great power. Nothing is too difficult for you. How about not just in our own lives, but for people that we love? Maybe there's people that we know and we love and they're lost in their sin and they're headed to an eternity separated from God in hell. And it seems hopeless. It seems like there's absolutely no way that they could ever be saved. They could ever be forgiven, made right with God. You know what? There's nothing too difficult for the Lord. There's nothing too hard for him. First Timothy 2, 4, it speaks of our Lord. It says, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. First John 5, 14 through 15. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask in anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. Even as Duncan was highlighting before, that we have a God who listens and hears and nothing is too hard for him. I went to a conference a few weeks ago, and that's actually where, we, where I met Brother Allen here. And I met a, a, a Navajo pastor. He was from Arizona. And he was just telling a little bit of his story and how when he came to Christ, he, there was, he was rejected by his family. But he continued to pray for his mom and his dad for years and years. And after 21 years, both his mom and dad came to Christ and were born again. Nothing was too hard for the Lord. Maybe you're here and you have children that that you know you've poured into their lives and you've shared with them, but they're not in a good place. And they've turned away from the Lord. And you struggle. They're on your mind and your heart every day, and you think, man, is this just hopeless? Will they ever return to the Lord? Will will they ever be reconciled with him and to you? Is there anything too hard for the Lord? I think of people like that in my own life. It just seems like, it just seems impossible. And actually the truth is, it is impossible. It's just as impossible as a 90-year-old woman conceiving. But 
Is there anything too hard for the Lord? No. There's nothing too hard for the Lord. Trust Him. And even when it doesn't seem like it, even when you can't see, hold on to who He is. Hold on to His power. His presence. And remind your heart, there is nothing too hard for the Lord. He is great. Trust there's nothing greater than him. Because if it was greater than him, it would be too hard for him to deal with. There's nothing too hard for him. Verse 15. I want us to consider part of the greatness of our God is that he is perfect in love. And at the first, it may seem a little interesting that I'm highlighting that, but... I want us to, to delve in a little bit what's going on here in verse 15. And the challenge for us is to trust that nothing is worth hiding from him. Verse 15, but Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, but no, you did laugh. Now, this is interesting because in verses 13 through 14, the Lord is speaking to Abraham. But then once again, Sarah is overhearing. She's eavesdropping into the Lord's conversation with her husband, and she pipes up. And she lies. She, she said she denied it. She denied what the Lord had said in verse 13. Why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? She denied it saying, I did not laugh for she was afraid. This, this is the, the quintessential, the mom tells the child, don't put your hand in the cookie jar and get the cookie until... After you've eaten your dinner, and then you can have a cookie. During the day, they get bored. Mom's, mom's away, not watching. Sure enough, that cookie looks so good. And the child goes and takes one. And in the act of taking and eating that cookie with the, the chocolate on the face and on the hands... The mom says, why did you eat the cookie? And then the child says, what cookie? I didn't eat a cookie. <laughs> well, why do they have that response? Because they're afraid of being punished because of their disobedience. So why did Sarah respond by lying to the one who is the truth, who knew, who knew her mind? She was afraid. She, she was afraid. And, and in 1 John chapter 4, it says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment. 
She was afraid that the Lord was going to punish her because of her lack of belief. You see, that's what all of the other gods in the world do. If you don't live up to their standards, they're going to get payback one way or the other. I think I've mentioned this story before, but one of my dear friends in um, South Africa, his name is Jabu, and um, came from a home that was very uh, traditional into spirit worship and worship of the ancestors. And um, his brother, his name was Lucky, was driving around in Johannesburg, and he ended up getting into a car accident and ruining the car. Well, once the mother found out what had happened, the, the interpretation of the events was, well, Lucky must have done something to upset the ancestors. And since he was in the wrong, they took retribution and punished him. And so what they ended up doing was going and getting a chicken and slaughtering it as a sacrifice to appease the ancestors. There's a very real sense in the worship of these other gods and and the gods that Abraham and Sarah would have worshipped in Ur of the Chaldees, that the way that they dealt with them was if they did something wrong, there was immediate punishment. And... And there's a certain sense in which Sarah, when she is confronted by the Lord himself, and she lies to his face because she's afraid. And in fact, the Lord did put her in his put her in her place because he corrected her and said, "No, but you did laugh." But isn't it wonderful to see the Lord didn't take her life from her? In fact, the Lord, just because of her unbelief, didn't even withhold what he had promised. His promise stood firm that she would still give birth to a child. Perfect love. That casts out all fear. See, Yahweh, the one true and living God, yes, He is a God who is just, and He is a God who for the unrighteous is to be feared because of the punishment that comes for our sin for all of eternity. But Sarah had been made righteous along with Abraham. So much so that in the book of 1 Peter 3, the Holy Spirit through Peter highlights Sarah as the mother of of all the women afterwards and that people should follow in her footsteps. So she had nothing to fear 
regarding punishment coming from the Lord. Discipline, yes. But punishment, no. In fact, there was a great freedom to be honest about her sin and to receive his cleansing and forgiveness. We're shown an, an, an example of this in the life of David. We're all familiar with David and how he was a great king, but there was the time where he committed adultery by having an affair with Bathsheba and then called for her husband to be murdered. It's pretty bad. But in Psalm 32, verse 5, David says, I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. He trusted in the perfect love of the Lord, that it was safe for him to be honest about the sin that the Lord already knew about. And David underwent discipline for his sin, and we can see that in the text, but he was known as a man after God's own heart. And there was a freedom to uncover the very thing that most people would want to hide. See, the Lord is, is perfect in love. There is nothing that is worth hiding from Him. Bringing to the light. It would have been so much better for Sarah... To not deny it, but bring it to the light and say, Lord, forgive me for my unbelief. Instead, she was humbled by him when he corrected her and said, no, but you did laugh. What's our response when the Lord convicts us of sin in our life? Because that's what happened. The Lord convicted Sarah of her sin. He brought it to light. The, the Lord still convicts us of our sin today. By His Holy Spirit, He shines a light on sinful thoughts, sinful attitudes, sinful behavior, sinful words, ways in which we have fallen short of God's perfect standard, and Maybe it's when we're reading the scripture and, and he uses that to shine a light on that particular sin. The lying or the, the lust or the pride or the gossiping or the whatever it is. He shines a light. He, he, he doesn't shine a light on it to punish us. He shines a light on it because of his great love for us. How do we respond to it? 
Are we like Sarah? And we try to hide it? And suppress it and and act like we don't really have an issue? And there's times in our lives where we can be in denial and we can just continue on, but the Lord doesn't allow us to be comfortable in that state. He continues to keep prodding. And the more that we try to drown out His conviction, sometimes the more heavy it is on our chest. And we may be afraid to actually confess and be honest about it. Do you know what? His perfect love casts out all fear. And His perfect love was shown to us when Jesus took that sin, that very thing that we have struggled with and do struggle with, He has taken it upon Himself and in His perfect love He paid the full price, the full punishment for our sin and He died and He was buried, He rose to life again and now that perfect love casts out any fear that we have. And then it gives us a confidence to come before His throne and lay our hearts out to Him, knowing that He will not reject us, but that He will accept us and He will cleanse us. Yes, there may be discipline, and there is. But what a sweet assurance to know of sins forgiven, of fellowship with God, How do we respond when the Lord convicts us? I want to challenge us. Our natural tendency is to do as Sarah did. Act out of fear. Instead, let the perfect love of Christ motivate you to bring it out into the open before the Lord. And, and I would encourage you to find a brother or sister in Christ that you can bring it out in the open before them. In James 5, it says to confess our sins to one another and pray for one another that we may be healed. He's great. Not only is he all powerful and there's nothing too hard for him. He's also perfect in love, and there's nothing in our life that is worth hiding from Him. And when He convicts us, bring it before Him, and that sets Him apart from any other God, from any other religion. His perfect love casts out fear. If you've never trusted in Him, Today is the day. And may his perfect love that was shown on the cross cast out any fear that you have. For us as believers, remind yourself of the gospel every day. Remind yourself of the price that Jesus paid for your sin. Remind yourself of his holiness, of his greatness. Remind yourself of your sinfulness and ask Him by His Spirit to shine a light on any sin that you may be holding on to. And when He does, remind your heart that Jesus paid for it all. 
When he died on the cross, he was buried and he rose to life again. And allow his love in Christ to motivate you to pour out your heart to him and not hide anything. Be forgiven and cleansed. The Lord is great. He's greater than all other gods. And in a society that is desperately going to all of these different gods because of power, because of whatever the, whatever the reason is, they are in it, they're being enslaved by fear. Just as Abram and Sarai were before they followed God's call. But in the Lord, there is freedom. There's nothing too hard for him. Trust him. His love is perfect. Trust him. Trust him enough to bring it all before him and not seek to hide anything. Father, we thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you speak to us. May we truly believe that there is nothing too hard for you. And may we trust in your perfect love and may that lead us to not try to hide anything from you. Thank you, in Jesus' name, amen.